Hello and welcome back to Olympic Size, the unofficial, unlicensed, unaffiliated with the IOC true history of the Olympics. As ever, I'm your host, Bridget Natalie, and with me is my co-host... Uh, Sarah, sorry. And recurring guest... Uh, Frank Casella. Yeah, so um, just uh, a little bit up top, we are recording in one of our homes, and you may hear uh, other people living here or and the dog, so... She's just, doing her best. She is. She's she's lovely, and she's downstairs. But you know, mm. oh, she's not downstairs for certain, for certain metaphorical definitions of downstairs. No, no one is downstairs. Uh, okay, no one's downstairs. The moths are downstairs. Oh, okay. <laughs> we must banish the moths anyway. And uh, yeah, we are back with our regular um, historical series on the 1928. Uh, some interest, not the huge dramatic turns we'll get in the 30s. <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Why? What happened? <laughs> uh, but, this is going to be an exciting series for you <laughs> to follow along with. <laughs> but what we do have is the first official, at the time, Winter Games at in St. Moritz, um... Switzerland. Right. Switzerland. Um, it is in Switzerland. <laughs> I, I mix them up. Don't worry. You, you can fix it in post. Yeah, we're looking at you for this one. Yeah, I just have the just name of the, the town, and I don't... I think it is in, 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 in Switzerland. Um, but yeah, so if you remember from, like, going on two years ago, the last... When we talked about Moritz... Um, which I believe was in France. Um, that was a Winter Games, but it wasn't officially its own separate event. This is the first time the Winter Games were recognized as their own separate event from the Summer Olympics. So we're not going to have the six-month-long Olympics anymore. I was going to ask, was that a like a marketing decision? Like, it's too hard to manage an event schedule across six to eight months' worth of games? Or, like, we want to sell twice as many novelty keychains or whatever the marketing was back then i i think it was just the logistics needs of the two different events were two different Mm -hmm. seasons right were so different that it didn't make sense to make it one event and i mean when we get to the summer games in this in 1928 they were in amsterdam and amsterdam doesn't have mountains (laughs) like it doesn't have a lot of things you need for winter games it, they have really great speed skating. They, they're the Dutch are always big in their speed skating, but other than that, like they don't. And so it also made it easier to pick venues because then you don't have to have. You're not as tied to one place for the winter and the summer games. And we'll see as they go along, they kind of spread further and further from each other. Right, makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's another thing is just the the number of places that have the facilities or the ability to create facilities for the winter games is a lot more limited than the number of places that can host a summer games. Probably more so now than in the twenties too. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Although we'll get it. There's some weird stuff with the climate in this. All right. Anyway, was this the year with the volcano? No, that was, what was that? Like 1906 or something. Um, yeah, there was, no, yeah, the intercalated in Greece, maybe? I don't know. That was before this. There wasn't a... There, <laughs> there was no eruption in um, Italy in 1920, as far as I know. Anyway. I like your addendum. 
Let's cover all the bases. <laughs> so for the this games, there's going to be a short episode. I have because as always, the winter games never have as much as many events as the summer games. They just don't. They it's never too cold. have. They never. <laughs> and they had not yet invented skeleton, correct? No, there's skeleton at this. There's then they should just do more skeletons there to was, pad out the winter games. To you be know the what they didn't the have, games. and we'll get to it a little bit. No downhill skiing, but they had skeleton. I that's a correct choice. <laughs> if I was going to cut one of those games today, <laughs> you're not wrong. Anyway, um, I have one quote that we're going to get into. I have a lot of my books here all annotated with all the quotes. One of them is for the, this from uh, The Games by David Goldblatt. And nothing from the Olympic strangest moments for this one. Um, however, due to how little information is available online for this event, I did end up using the complete book of the Olympics by David Wallachinsky for some of the information. Uh, the copyright for the complete book of the Olympics is 1984, so eventually it will not be a, a worthwhile source for me. Um, but for now, it actually has a lot of the information I need because it's just hard to find. Um, and uh, it's a bunch of, bunch of stats, so not a lot of direct quotes from that one, but a lot, most of the information I have is from those, uh, from that book. Um, and the reason why I have all these secondary sources is because, once again, the official IOC report was only published in French. There were two re versions of it for reasons I cannot explain because I can't read French. Both versions <laughs> were in French? Yes. There was no English translation of the official IOC report for the 1928 Winter Games. I can understand two versions if there were two languages picked and there was one in each. I don't know why they would have to both be in the same market. I Yeah, and I cannot explain it because I can't read either one. Um, and like we talked about last time, St. Moritz, Moritz was the birthplace of a lot of what we consider to be classic winter sports. For most of humanity's history, winter sports just weren't a thing. There were methods of travel people had to resort to in order to get from point A to point B in the winter that eventually grew into winter sports. And people who lived in places where the winter lasted a significant portion of the year invented things to do to pass the time, but there wasn't anything like competitive snowboarding in ancient times the way there was wrestling or running in a race. <laughs> like, the, kind of the ancient Greek games that we know of. And similar events. Anyway, the, le the first time the IOC decided to have legitimate winter games, and not just some winter games tacked onto the rest of the Olympics... The choice was obvious. They went to San Moritz, Switzerland. Okay, so I did see what country it was in. I haven't looked at... I did look at these notes recently, but it was like the first time in a long time I looked at these notes. Anyway, um, the, the games were held from February 11th through the 19th, so a very tight schedule. It's a solid week. Yeah, a little bit over. Um, 464 athletes from 25 nations participated, 438 men and 26 women. Nine nations made their Olympics winter Olympics debut at these games. Sorry, wouldn't 25 nations have made their winter Olympics debut at these games? Technically, Shamanics was the first winter games, according to the IOC. I see. So these are the countries that didn't comp compete in the last one, even though it wasn't officially, it was retconned into being a winter games later. I see, okay. Um, but anyway, the ones appearing... For the first time in winter games were argentina 
Estonia, Japan, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Mexico, the Netherlands, Romania, and Germany. Germany finally being allowed back after their timeout after World War One sent the largest contingent with 44 athletes. And nothing bad ever happened again. No, definitely, definitely not. Um, we're not, we're not foreshadowing. Uh, this method of sending the most athletes did not translate into a winning strategy for the medal race. So they were all just kind of mediocre? I just, guess. Just or, an army of mediocre Germans? <laughs> or potentially there was enough sports with a subjective judgment that everyone was like, we're not giving the Germans medals. The winter games are more subjective, generally. Yeah. So, like, maybe this German athlete cuts a perfect square in figure skating and they're like, like, yeah, but Treaty of Versailles, so you're not getting like, bronze. But, like, it's not a parallelogram, so, like, is it, was it even that hard? <laughs> uh, I think that squares are parallelograms. How dare you undermine me? <laughs> Maybe they were still in their um, winning is not German period. Oh yeah, know. that was still. I wish I knew more. I about really, that. I really like want to adopt that as like my life <laughs> guiding strategy of like or I'm competition, just, not winning competition. Yeah, is not German. It's, it's just that uncouth. Was, that like that's. I'm just gonna start saying things like that when I lose. Competing is uncouth. Yeah, that's good. I want that on a shirt. Yeah. That would be a good shirt. That's a good merch. That's Are our we shirt. doing merch ideas? Uh, sure, sure. We can do merch. <laughs> anyway, um, so for the 44 athletes they sent, they were able to win one bronze medal. But still, they were there, which is more than they had been able to do since 1912. Norway won the medal race with a total of 17, followed by Finland with 10, Austria with three, the USA with four, but only one gold to Austria's two gold. So that's why Austria is higher in the ranking. Switzerland itself won two medals. Canada and Sweden both took home one gold each. Great Britain won three medals, but no golds. And Belgium and France also only won one bronze each. While these this event garnered more attention than the previous Winter Games, there was one person who was not at all impressed by it, and that was Baron de, Coup de Coubertin. <laughs> he made his opinion of all winter sports very plain, and we have a quote. <laughs> of course we do. Would you like to read for the Baron? I left my monocle in my other jacket. But... <laughs> it's the highlighted portion there. <clears throat> Wear the monocle you have inside. The number of those participating has greatly increased, but the quality has fallen. The fault lies with their telliers, who outbid each other from solely pecuniary interests, and hence the new clientele they have thus produced. Noisy and intrusive. Idlers. Sports humbugs. Posers with leggings and jerseys. <laughs> Despite that, he and the rest of the IOC realized that there was an audience for this stuff, and not participating not participating in it allowed the Scandinavians to keep making money off of the Nordic games that the Olympics could snatch for themselves. And so the Winter Games were born. Of course, if you look at the IOC website, they maintain that it was always de Coubertin's intention to fully include Winter Games. The quote they have... I'm going to do with this. Do you, want to, do you want to read this quote? It's the all caps section right there. Okay, but it isn't all caps, so it must be louder. Okay. Winter sports were included on the Olympic Charter in 1894, along with other sports, and I have worked tirelessly ever since to introduce them on the program, albeit mindful of the material difficulties that need to be overcome in order to achieve that. <laughs> 
Now that I've said it in a bit of a louder voice, it does kind of feel like that was intentional. <laughs> I think it's just the way that my thing formatted quotes, which is weird because I did a block quote later and it didn't do that. No, I can mind. definitely see him trying to retcon that in all caps in like a spoken word. Yeah, no, definitely <laughs> come come and and ma- let us make money off of you posers. I mean, totally legitimate. You athletes. posers with your jeggings. <laughs> Do you want us to wait for you? Sorry. One thing they hadn't figured in their dismissal of the games was how much motorized sports were becoming a hot new thing. As technology improved, auto racing was becoming a massive industry, generating enormous amounts of money and attention. The Olympics, with their aversion to motorized sports, had nothing to compare to this, except for those very sports favored by posers in sweaters and leggings. The high-speed and dangerous tracks developed for bobsleds, luge, and skeleton helped tap into that market for the Winter Games in a way that cross-country skiing and figure skating did not. There is a bit of dread foreshadowing there that we're going to get um, Olympic NASCAR. Um, So I'm glad that they went with skeleton instead. Yeah, yeah, um, that is the one thing I I don't... I mean, the, the whole amateurism thing and how they changed and allowed um, professionals in um, I don't see them ever allowing motorized vehicles they allow guns those aren't motors guns and motors are just controlled explosions (laughs) but you aren't traveling via gun something is traveling from the gun I think (laughs) a bullet you're still aiming it you aim a skeleton car yeah, well, the skeleton is the skeleton car. All right, I don't, I don't see motors. Like, I would be s- extremely surprised if they ever had motor. Because I mean, it's been a while. Like, we have had motors for a while. Yeah, it's been as long as we've had the Olympics. There's been motorized vehicles, and they've never budged on that at all. Unless there's a real marketing push to get electric cars in there. I don't think Tesla so. Tesla wants I mean, their 500 lap race. <laughs> I mean, not even, I mean, even with the amateurism, they still allowed professional, like, um, fencing coaches and stuff. And from mm. the beginning, there was always a little wiggle room with that. It was never as clear cut a line. Anyway, uh, the decision to officially hold Winter Games as a separate event from the Summer Games was made in 1925 at the 8th Olympic Congress in Prague. This was the same event where de Coubertin officially stepped down as the IOC president. In protest of the Winter Olympics. No, it was just he was getting pretty old at that point. And Henri de Bayer-Latour of Belgium succeeded him. They decided to have the Winter Games on the same year as the Summer Games and in the same country whenever possible. But the Summer Games had already been awarded to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And while the Dutch have always been renowned speed skaters, there were no mountains in the country at all like famously it's a bowl so they awarded the winter games to saint Martz in switzerland i don't know that much about the opening ceremonies other than the fact that the president of the helvetic confederation edmund schultes schultes i, I knew a kid in high school's last name was schultes so that's what i want to say uh presided over them hans eidenbens swiss nordic combined skier took the athlete's oath Prince Consort Henry Mecklenburg Schwerin represented the Netherlands, and the entire event took place during a freak blizzard, which was not the end of the strange weather that would plague these games. 
You would want the blizzard slightly before the games start to get the snow, presumably. Yeah. For, okay, they hadn't invented skiing yet for the games. They had cross-country skiing. They had cross-country skiing, so fresh powder would be good. Yeah, fresh powder would have been really good as opposed to what they got. So we'll get into it with our first event, bobsled. The decision to hold the first actual, second official, Winter Olympic Games in Samoritz, Switzerland in February seemed an obvious choice. It was the birthplace of so many of the winter sports that were to be conducted, after all, and is the location of the only natural bobsled track on Earth, created only with snow, water, and manual labor, with no artificial refrigeration. Uh-oh. Was that true at the time, or mm -hmm. is still true today? I think it's still true today. Wow. Uh, it's in the Alps. Like, most years it freezes pretty good. <laughs> so, however... What they didn't count on was a freak heat wave during the event, with temperatures going up into the high 70s. In, in February? Yes, in Switzerland. In the Alps. In the Alps. It's the high 70s Fahrenheit, with the, which would be about 25 degrees Celsius. This wreaked havoc on pretty much everything. <laughs> I mean, it would. Yeah. Because, again, they had no indoor events for any of this. They didn't have the the technology to have we will an indoor go ice yeah there were no indoor ice rinks at all um and i mean now we have artificial refrigeration like freezing for bobsled tracks and stuff but even that if it's in the high 70s you're going to they don't really freeze that well <laughs> anyway um one of the things that wreaked havoc on was bobsled at this point the game still only had five man bobsled as an event two man bobsled wouldn't become an olympic event until 1932 Women did not have a bobsledding event at the Olympics at all until 2002. The bobsledding event was held on February 18th, and each team was supposed to have four runs on the track. This did not happen. The track <laughs> collapsed after the first run, and they were awarded the gold and silver and bronze medals because no one else could fair. complete. Well, pretty close. Temperatures <laughs> spiked to 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my gosh. Or 25 degrees Celsius. And then it started to rain. <laughs> sure. And then it just became... No, it wouldn't even become like ice. It would just be slush. water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's slush if you're lucky. <laughs> it would indeed just be water. <laughs> Which meant the track was completely useless and the entire event was cut down to two runs for each team. Americans took the gold and silver medals and Germany won their only medal of the games, a bronze. Mexico made their Winter Olympics debut with a team that finished in 11th place out of 23 teams participating. 22 placing as one of the Austrian teams were, was disqualified. Argentina did better, placing 4th and 5th. Their fourth place team only 0.9 seconds behind bronze medalist Germany. Ice hockey. Was there ice? <laughs> yeah. Field okay. hockey is a different event. I although know. We I'm, could I'm, easily I'm, turn look, the medals into another. At this point, I feel like it's an impor important question to ask. Yeah. We will have feel a pretty interesting field hockey story for the Summer Games this year. Um, but ice hockey at the winter games while we did not return to the bergval system of grinding out tournament winners this tournament wasn't exactly a straightforward round robin first of all there was although this isn't related to that i don't know why i phrase it this way there was no american team in 1928 the americans just couldn't muster a full squad for whatever reason and missed the olympic hockey tournament for the first and only time we're just not that into hockey yeah <laughs> all of our players go back to canada it's for true. the olympics and then, I mean, there is the Miracle on Ice eventually. Yeah. I don't know anything that was about a, that. That was a fluke. We haven't gotten there yet. 
The nation that did not miss was Canada. The Canadian team was the 1926 Toronto University team, renamed either the Toronto Graduates or the Toronto Varsity Blues, depending on the source. So they just straight up sent, like, an existing team. Yes. I think that was pretty common back then. Yeah. Athletic yeah. clubs would just send no, a that team. That makes sense. Yeah. They're going to play, be- they're gonna play yeah. better together. Yeah. And sometimes a country would send more than one team. Okay. It wasn't... I think this the was The division still- rivals now meeting for the gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, when it's hockey and it's Canada, it's like, you know... I don't, yeah, I don't think there were too it? many uh, countries that sent more than one hockey team. But for different events... There'd be, I think, I think, rowing in particular, you'd have a bunch of people from this, a bunch of different teams. Um, anyway, this team had won the Allen Cup before heading to the Olympics, which is the Canadian Am- Amateur Championship. They got to Switzerland ten days before the tournament, and when they took to the ice, observing officials realized they would utterly outclass every single other team. So they made a slight adjustment to the tournament schedule. They gave Canada a bye to the final round. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, look, okay, we all know how this is going to go. The other Let's ten teams. ourselves some embarrassment. That's hilarious. <laughs> They're just like, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> the other ten teams. It wasn't even just that there was like four or it's, five. There were who, ten other teams. Who, who will be the lucky team to get to get their ass handed to them by Canada? <laughs> Austria, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, France, Germany, Great Britain, Hungary, Poland, Sweden, and Switzerland were divided into three pools. Each pool would do a round robin among the three teams, although one of them had four. This and, seems needlessly complicated. And the winner would advance. When it shook out... It was Canada, Great Britain, Sweden, Switzerland in the final round-robin tournament. Sitting out the first part of the tournament didn't slow Canada down. They obliterated the other three teams, winning 11 to nothing against Sweden, 13 to nothing against Switzerland. Jesus. <laughs> Those are not hockey games. No. Scores. And 14 to nothing oh. against Great Britain. It gets worse. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I put those in, in ascending order. Sweden went on to win the silver and Switzerland bronze. I think they should have given them all to Canada. It sounds like. I don't think anybody was winning silver. It doesn't sound like. Uh, these tournaments were also doubling as various championships. So Canada won the World Hockey Championship in 1928, and Sweden won the European Championship. Sure. I think once Canada gets gold there, the silver should be the next best team and, like, half of Canada's team against <laughs> each other, like, with the disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, speed skating uh, only had three events in 1928 sort of there's definitely a gray area and we will get into it but the IOC recognizes it became swimming so it became <laughs> yeah, I was going to say was there ice metal. my new question is was That's there the ice we, we get to figure skating oh, <laughs> it's God. terrifying uh, the IOC recognizes three official events 500 meter, 1500 meter and 5000 meter the events were held on an outdoor course from February 13th to 14th, and the rising temperatures that were causing problems in all the other events definitely had an impact. That also, wasn't nice. Also, while the 1924 Games had medals for the all-around speed skating champs, that was not continued in 1928. Eleven medals were awarded, and if you are doing the math, that doesn't make sense for three events. But the reason for these extra medals came from the 500-meter sprint. Unfortunately... None of my sources had any in-depth information about what exactly happened there. 
I know that the world record holder was in the race. Roald Larsen of Norway had just won the world championship with a record-breaking time of 43.1 seconds in Davos, Switzerland. This record has an asterisk, though, as it was earned at a high altitude on an outdoor track. This race was held on February 4th, 1928, just nine days before the Olympic finals. Point of clarification. Is the high altitude outdoor track an advantage or a disadvantage? I'm I, assuming it's bad because of the air being thin. Yeah. But I, maybe you also go faster because you're high altitude. There's less resistance. <laughs> I don't no know. No air. I don't yeah. know. They Actually, just... that might, that makes more sense now that you said it out loud than I was originally thinking. Fewer air. But for whatever reason, there were five medalists in this race because there were two sets of ties. Also, it's important to remember that speed skating races like this are done with only one or sometimes two skaters on the ice. For this event, the skaters all faced off in pairs. So these times were all earned racing against one one other skater. Bernd Evensen of Norway and Klaus Thunberg of Finland tied for the gold medal with an Olympic record-setting time of 43.4 seconds. And then right behind them was Roald Larsen of Norway, Jako Freeman of Finland. It's J-A-A-K-K-O. So There's a lot of K's in the Finnish yeah. names. And John hearts. Farrell of the United States, all tying with a time of 43.6 seconds. The first set got gold medals, and the second set were all awarded bronzes. Farrell sure. is the only American and the only speed skater who wasn't Norwegian or Finnish to medal in these games. Yeah, I like it. I mean, we had the heartwarming shared gold medal story just That's you know, true, this yeah. year. Um, yeah. Go for it. Take <laughs> all the why gold can't, you... Why yeah. can't we give a medal to everybody? Take all the gold you can get from these co- <laughs> committee members. Yeah, like, do it. and it was real gold back then, right? It's real yeah. gold now. Yeah. Isn't it? It's well, plated. Yeah. What? Yeah, no. <laughs> what? Like, I have bad news for you. <laughs> They're not handing out giant hunks of blood to people. <laughs> Class, I'm infuriated. You should by be. This. We should write a letter. Klaus Thunberg of, of Finland won his fifth and final gold medal in the 1500 meter race, having won three at the 1924 games. He was another who came to the sport late, taking it up at age 18. After a at 18, after a youth spent mostly drinking and smoking. Well, this guy. This is like. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> the training. Uh, he tied... Full rocky. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, up until maybe the 50s, yes. I think everyone was drinking and smoking. <laughs> I, look at Babe Ruth. If he wasn't <laughs> drinking strychnine during the marathon, I don't even think it qualifies as interesting. <laughs> he tied for most personal gold medals at the 1928 Games with Johan Gertumsbraten, a Norwegian skier, but Gertumsbraten would be, will be returning in 1932, so we'll talk more about him then. Which will be fun for me to fit. There's a lot of accents in that name. Okay. Because of Thunberg's impressive performance, along with the Pousty events in 1924 and 1928, he remains the athlete with the highest percentage of gold medals across his career. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm. Bernd Evansen won a silver medal in the 1500 meter, and Ivar Ballengrud of Norway won bronze. Ballengrud won his first... This just all feels like names of Ikea furniture. Won his first that's gold medal. probably offensive. Yeah, that's, that's very they offensive. They do it, not me. <laughs> Balagrud won his first gold medal in the 5,000 meter race. Julius Skutnab of Fr- Finland won silver. <laughs> I don't know why that one got me. <laughs> it's, 
Scutnab? Scutnab? I don't know. He's Sorry. scooting around the ice truck. No. <laughs> Do you need a minute no, with Julius? Okay. Um, and Evenson Evanson won his third medal, a bronze. Balagrud's performance was not as dominant as some of his countrymen, but he was only just starting. He had missed the 1924 games by a few years, winning his first world championship in 1926. His Olympic debut was impressive with the gold and silver, but Balagrud's career would see him dominating speed skating for 15 years, breaking records by significant margins and earning a total number of medals that has been matched only twice to date in the sport. His Best Olympics will be in 1936, so you'll hear more about him then. There was supposed to be a 10,000 meter race at these Olympics, but the weather interfered. After seven of the 10 entrants had completed their heats, the temperature spiked suddenly, and again it started to rain, making conditions on the outdoor track far too dangerous to continue. The officials canceled the rest of the heats and ordered that the entire thing would be redone. But the Norwegians had gone home, at this point, <laughs> what? They, I mean, you did your you did your sports. Okay, go. go. Yeah, they, you're they, done. They didn't want it enough. I say disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They didn't stick around for the rain delay. At this point, they decided that Irving Jaffe of the U.S., who had beat Burnt Evanson by 0.1 seconds, was the winner, and there was no point in going again. That's what the, the Norwegian notion of the races that had. That actually were competed. Jaffe had come in first, Evanson second, and Otto Palaszczuk of Austria third. But the IOC considers this event to have not taken place. None of those times count, and nobody was awarded medal- any medals in the 10,000 meter race. I only found information about this in the complete book of the Olympics because nowhere I looked online had any info other than the event was canceled. So. But they like had an event. Yeah, but it was like canceled. half of an event. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like. And they made an attempt. The alternative was that the second That's... half of the people were swimming to try to match. <laughs> that sucks time. for those people that tried, though. They had seven tenths of an event. <laughs> That's and that counts, right? For most of a uh, skeleton. Yes. Ooh. For most of the modern Olympics, skeleton was only a sport when the Winter Games were held in Saint Moritz. So 1928 and the 1948. And both times only for men. Starting in 2000... Women don't have skeletons. No, they that's don't. True. That's in the Bible. That is true. We're just like jellyfish in the shape of a human. Um, starting... Debatable. In 2002, it became an official event for both men and women. In both 1928 and 1948, it was called tobogganing. That's disappointing. <laughs> I don't know why they changed the name to skeleton. Because it rules? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like this this needs to be more metal. Yeah, yeah tobogganing is definitely uh, uh, doesn't sound as extreme cute. as yeah. skeleton, and it is a pretty intense sport. It, it should not be called tobogganing. Yeah, that's for sure. The sport was most closely associated with idle British aristocrats at who the time. also don't have skeletons. <laughs> but there were a pair of American brothers who managed to outpace them all. Before we get too proud of our down-to-earth athletes, it's worth oh, no. mentioning that Jennison and John Heaton, along with their brother Trowbridge... I'm sorry? <laughs> I'm, so- I'm sorry? Tro- Trowbridge. Trowbridge. And, wait, no, no, no. One of them is named John? <laughs> John yeah. Trowbridge. And Jennison. Jonathan. Jennison. Je- one of them is named John. <laughs> <laughs> they were all sons of a very well-established Connecticut family and were educated in European boarding schools. Oh, God. <laughs> 
They sound like a Jenison. And Trowbridge. Trowbridge. I wonder what the um the order was there for the names. Are they are they getting <laughs> progressively they, wilder? Where or does are they John getting... fit in? Is John the middle child? They... I have questions. <laughs> Did they start with John and then go off the rails to Trowbridge later? Or <laughs> I th- definitely, I feel like we can all agree Trowbridge is where we ended up. That was the that was. Or did the they last start resort. with Trowbridge and relatives reined them in for the subscription <laughs> certificates? Um. Well, I do know that Jenison is the older one. So. Oh my God, John's the middle child or the baby. I don't know where Trowbridge. Fits I think in. someone. I think someone better at names was getting into the hospital and just. Just fixing wrote it. the document. It was in pen. We yeah. can't erase it. His name is John. I, you guys are going to die. Okay. <laughs> Ten athletes competed. Two didn't finish. And when it was all said and done, the older Heaton brother, Jenison, took the gold. John, or Jack, took silver. <laughs> no, that's that's common. You, that's how this yeah, works. Yeah, but like, not in this John family. is the one who has a nickname? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not Trowbridge. Br- Bridgie, as his friends call him. <laughs> David Carnegie of Great Britain won gold. <laughs> Wait, bronze. That must have been bronze. Yeah. Trowbridge got gold. <laughs> Trowbridge, I don't know if he competed. He didn't medal. Jennison was only 19 when he won this medal, so he will be returning in 1948 to compete in this event again. Oh, thank God. Jack will also be returning in 1948. Under a different name. <laughs> but didn't have as long of a drought between appearances as he entered into the two-man bobsled competition in 1932. Sure. It's the same. Same general idea. Fling yourself <laughs> down a mountain. Flip around another way and yeah. also get on the mountain. Yeah. Cross-country skiing. There were two cross-country skiing events. The 18-kilometer on February 14th and the 50-kilometer on February 17th. You know, that date for the 50-kilometer, it bodes ill. Um, in Norway and Sweden were dominant forces in both events, something that hasn't changed in all of the modern Olympics, to the point where Norway is investing in cross-country skiing programs in other countries so they have somebody to compete against. For these events, com- like, they're doing that now. Um, for these events, competitors begin one at a time, spaced out in 30-second intervals. The tracks are too narrow and conditions too treacherous for mass starts on these long-distance races. Also, eventually, the 18-kilometer race will be changed to a 15-kilometer race, but that doesn't happen until the 1950s, so I don't know what the reason is for that yet. They ran out of kilometers. (laughs) They ran out. Held earlier in the week, the conditions for the 18-kilometer race were more in keeping with what was expected. Out of 49 athletes from 15 countries, Norway beat them all. Sweeping the medals, with the only real challenge coming for the bronze medal, Finnish skier Veli Saarinen missing out by 46 seconds. Johan Grattemsbraten, the gold medalist, won with a time of 1 hour, 37 minutes, and 1 second. So they just, um, they know when you started and they subtract that 30 seconds or 90 seconds from your i think or they everybody has their individual time i don't know yeah i don't exactly but yeah they 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 track exactly what you're doing 41 skiers from 11 nations competed in the 50 kilometer race but only 30 actually finished and if you have learned anything from this podcast it should be this whenever you see a massive dropout rate like that in an olympic race of any kind it means something awful happened (laughs) This time, it was not the fault of any of the competitors, organizers, or officials. It was the same problem that plagued so many other events at these games, 
the weather. Conditions had taken a decided turn for the worse by the 17th when the 50-kilometer race was held. Temperatures climbed from 225 degrees Celsius or 77 degrees Fahrenheit, and the snow was rapidly turning to slush. The choice of which wax to put on the skis became a crucial difference, as the conditions would seriously impact performance. Also making a significant difference was placement. The Swedish team started earlier than the Norwegians. They also made a better choice in what wax to use, which reversed the results of the 18-kilometer race. The Swedish team swept. <clears throat> the big because they had they still had snow to ski on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They shouldn't feel skill. too proud about that. They they also had better. The, it's like better the guy scoring the touchdown in Dark Knight Rises, and he turns around, and the whole rest of the team has fallen into the big <laughs> sinkhole, collapsed. Yeah. Field. What was that movie about? <laughs> no, no. Football. <laughs> it was about a Steelers game. <laughs> Tracks. That tracks. <laughs> the big winner was a man named Eric Headland, a lumberjack by trade. He was quoted as saying that his training regime was to work for six days and train on the seventh. <clears throat> the S- Swedish team was supposed to wear blue uniforms, but the last minute, Headland switched to a white uniform that had been made for him by the women of his hometown, Sarna. While this may have made the girls back home happy, it definitely annoyed his teammates. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah, <laughs> right. like I, I, I'd stand by this guy. He's making good choices. Ole Hegg of Norway gave him a good challenge early on, managing to keep up the lead, keep the lead up until the 15-kilometer checkpoint. But conditions and equipment and Hedlund's remarkable stamina beat Hegg in the second half of the race. Hedlund had managed to pull a full eight minutes ahead by the 38-kilometer mark, which gave him enough time to ha- reapply wax to his skis before finishing the race. He finished a full 13 minutes and 27 seconds ahead of the silver medalist with a finishing time of 4 hours, 52 minutes, and 3 seconds. It is still one of the widest winning margins of the 50-kilometer race ever. This time, it was also a full hour slower than what Thorleif Haug had done in his gold medal race in 1924, which is just another illustration of what a nightmare these weather conditions were. Another illustration of how bad they were. Remember how I said that the that 30 skiers had actually finished the race. Those guys at the bottom, the, 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 what would be 28, 29, and 30, were three Yugoslavian skiers with Stain Bervar coming in last with a time of six hours, 46 Oof. minutes, and 48 seconds. Oof. Which is literally all I could find out about him. His Wikipedia entry lists his birth date as December 30th, 1905, and his death date as unknown. So he's still alive. He's still alive. That's <laughs> he's still, that's number one. Um, it's, it's all we know for sure. What was the time of the second to last person in that race? I don't know. Probably around six hours. I would say I, at least I, six seven hours. Trying to figure out if it's just like they were so far behind they gave up, took a break, had a meal, kept going, <laughs> or if there was a, a heat of like neck and neck at the last <laughs> thing to not be the last competitor, just swimming down the channel at the end. You know, spot, like, really going for it. Yeah. yeah. Headland's triumph in this awful race was so stunning that the Swedish Olympic cross-country team has worn white uniforms ever since. To this day? Yeah. That's why they wear white. Devastating. Yeah. Nice. Figure skating. <laughs> but the bad kind. Just one of the events. No, but this is the bad kind of figure skating? This the, is the kind skating of draw figures? This is all the figure skating. So this the artistic programs, too. But have we... Sorry. But, so, my question is... 
whether yes. we have replaced draw a square no, with no, do that's a dance. Part of it. Okay. Do a dance is still part of it. All right. They're doing both. Yes. Okay. Acceptable. The unusually warm weather plagued the figure skating competition as well. It was held outdoors, and as temperatures climbed, it became increasingly difficult, not to mention increasingly dangerous, to continue competition. There was debate about whether or not to move the competition to indoor rinks in London or Berlin. But every time they came close to making a decision, the temperatures would drop again. It would seem like the crisis had passed. And again, I think also this heat wave will last a lot longer than anybody expected. They kept waiting for things to go back to normal. Uh-huh. Yeah, me too. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the last day of the competition, officials resorted to marking dangerous spots on the ice with oh, God. red flags. Oh my god. Which proliferated as the day's events wore on. So, and that so works. Just, to re- just as a reminder here, because people might not be realizing this, dangerous spots means that you will like fall through into the lake, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Presumably. Men's figure skating. Oh god. We talked a bit about the gold medalist in the men's figure skating competition in the last episode because he won his first gold medal in 1920 and his second in 1924. Gillis Grafstrom probably would not be as strong a competitor today as he was in the 20s, simply because the area in which he truly excelled was compulsory figures, something I we don't do I thought you were going to say anymore. because he'd be like 90. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. But I mean, if at his prime, what he was really good at was what you keep talking about, where they draw the figures on the ice, where figure skating gets its name. The mm-hmm. thing that Frank hates the most. It, uh, no, it, second most. Ooh, speed walking? Yeah, speed All walking. Right. And I will say, so the figures, drawing the figures on the ice is really really difficult it's also incredibly boring to watch but is, it, is it fun to watch <laughs> no it's not not at all and that isn't to say he was lacking in the short or long programs it's just the compulsory figures counted for 30 percent of the score short program 20 percent and the long program 50 percent with how far ahead he'd place in compulsory figures it was very hard to overcome him in the rest of the competition if he put in above average performances there as well and he did his performance described as smooth, orthodox, and perfectly executed, despite a knee injury and the deteriora- deteriorating condition of the ice. Willy Burkle, Burkle, there's an umlaut, of Austria once again represented the biggest challenge for Grafstrom, but his more aggressive performance was less appreciated by the judges, earning his second silver medal in his second Olympics. He did too many jumps. <gasps> and, I like how scandalized we were by and, that. Finally, winning bronze was Rupert von Zeebroek of Belgium, who gambled with some spectacular leaps and spins that weren't what the judges were looking for. <laughs> oh, Tell me about it. Grafstrom wasn't finished, though, so we'll hear more about him in the next episode. The next Winter Games. He's not going to show up in the summer. Sorry, remind me, if they weren't looking for jumps and spins, <laughs> what were they looking for? Smooth, orthodox, and perfectly executed. Perfectly executed what? I don't know. <laughs> Just make sure that it's orthodox. And they didn't fall in the water. Wow. <laughs> oh. I mean, all things considered, very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Women's figure skating. Speaking of people who weren't finished, Sonia Haney returned in 1928. She was not a defending champion, however, if you'll remember, in 1924, she was 11 years old and came in dead last. Still only 15, about two months shy of her 16th birthday, Kenia had been busy in the intervening years. In 1926, she won second at the World Championships, and in 1927, won a controversial first place that forced a change in how figure skating was judged. I don't have information about what that change was. Probably should look that up. (laughs) 
1927, the 1927 We're world... We're outlawing rhombuses. <laughs> <laughs> no more. No more. Well, the hated rhombus plague us. The 1927 World Championships were... Oh, wait, maybe I did. Okay. Oh, I did have it. Okay. 1927 World Championships were held in Oslo, Norway. Heaney was considerable, had a considerable hometown advantage. Not only was the crowd solidly on her side, but three of the five judges were Norwegian. Oh. Yeah. That's the controversy. When the time came to score the skaters, the three Norwegian judges all gave first place to Heaney, while the German and Austrian judges both gave the first place to Herma Planck-Zabo of Austria. This caused a considerable uproar, and ever since then, the International Skating Union made a rule that only one judge per country could judge international events. Plank Zabo did not return to defend her gold medal, which is just as well. Heaney was awarded first place by six of the seven appropriately diverse judges. The only one to not award her first was the American judge, who awarded it to an American, Beatrix Lugren. Lugren? Lugren? who won the bronze medal and had the curious distinction of being awarded a different place by every single judge. You so on saying. average. So on average, she averaged good. out to a bronze. Yeah. Um, Fritzi Berger of Austria won the silver. Decades later, in an interview, Berger would say of Heaney, I had two husbands. Sonia Heaney even beat me at that. She had three. <laughs> Heaney was hard to beat, even at such a young age. She was the first to perform an entirely dance-based routine. She had charisma to spare and was the perfect image of a figure skater, winning her the nickname of Ice Queen that would stick for her entire career. She had pioneered jumps and spins in women's skating that had never been seen before in competition and advanced the sport to new levels. We'll be talking about her again in upcoming episodes. I feel like Ice Queen has connotations. It does. Does it? Did it then? Probably not at the time. I don't know if it did at the time or if it was kind of a joke. Okay. I mean, she was married three times. So, Paris figure skating. You may be wondering, as this is the second Winter Games and the fourth time that Paris figure skating was an event, where is the ice dancing? I actually where was. I actually was wondering that. I where was going to make an dancing? ice dancing joke when they weren't allowed to do flips and spins, but yeah. Well, this is what happened. Um, this it won't be an event for about fifty years. This is early in the sport, and there was not enough of a difference between the high-flying jumps, lifts, and throws that make the big difference between ice dancing and pairs figure skating, and there won't be until well into the 70s. So there's not as many jumps and spins in ice dancing today. There, no, there are no jumps in ice dancing. This no is why lifts. ice dancing is boring. Okay. You're not wow. supposed to... Wow. Like, you're supposed to be no. touching almost the entire time. Like, there's, like, very... Like, very... You can let go of each other a lot more in pairs figure skating. Um, anyway, so we'll talk about more about how this event evolves as we go and eventually forces the split between the two disciplines. So remember from the 1924 games, which again was a long time ago when we put that episode out, French pair André Jolie and Pierre Brunet got screwed by being so good that judges didn't know how to score them. Happens. It happens a lot, actually. Over the next four years, they did not tone down their performances, but continued to advance the sport. They invented techniques such as mirrored skating, the angel leap, and the one-handed lift. Unfortunately, I can't tell you what the angel leap is because the article on the IOC website is the only place I can find it referenced, and they don't explain it. Anyway. Every record of what it was was collected and destroyed, lest its power (laughs) get out and become too great for modern-day ice dancing. Jolie and Brunet were challenged by the remarkably talented Austrian duo 
Lily Schultz and Otto Kaiser. They had lost to the French team in the World Championships in 1926 and were looking for redemption. They missed it by 0.75 points. When the scores were tallied, Jolie and Brunet earned 100.50 and Schultz and Kaiser earned 99.25. Coming in third was fellow Austrians Melita Brunner and Ludwig Reed with a with 93.25 points. So they were like six points behind the silver medalists. Brunet and Jolie were the first Winter Olympic gold medal champions and will return in the next Winter Games that was a slightly different name as they married in 1929. Aww. <laughs> Nordic Combined. Nordic Combined is an event that was first introduced at the 1924 Games and is still part of the Olympics. The biggest difference in the structure came in the 1950s. Originally, the cross-country event was held first and the ski jumping portion second, but that has been reversed. This is because the margin of difference in how points are awarded means that generally it will be impossible to overcome a really good race score with a really good jump. This is a men's only event still. There was a plan developed in 2016 that was to start the process that would lead to a women's Nordic combined event in 2022. The IOC canceled that 2022 debut in 2018. Right now, the process is on track to introduce it in the Olympics in 2026. I have no idea why this is taking them over a hundred years to accomplish. Anyway. <laughs> They're doing their best. Are they <laughs> They though? are not. Back in 1928, the event was held on February 17th and 18th, and none of the sources I have report any kind of issues with the weather. So I guess somehow the ski jumping wasn't as negatively impacted by the spiking temperatures as bobsled figure skating or the 50-kilometer cross-country race. Yeah, you're in the air most of the time. <laughs> oh, the my God. <laughs> what are you landing on? Water. You just landed a pool. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. fine. 30, it's soft. 35 skiers from 14 nations competed in the event. 13 of those nations might as well have stayed home. The Norwegians swept the medals and get used to that phrase when talking about Nordic combined. Because up until the 60s, they had an unbreakable stranglehold on the sport challenged only by the Finns. Winning the gold medal is this guy again, Johan Grottomsbraten, again. Grottomsbraten had won the gold medal in Nordic combined in 1924, along with a bronze in the 50-kilometer race and a silver in the 18-kilometer race and a gold in the 18-kilometer race in Shamanix. He will be returning in 1932 to finish an Olympic career, so we'll see how many more career medals he manages to rack up. So what I don't understand is if if one of the halves of the sport is overshadowed wildly by the other half of the sport. Like mm -hmm. so I get that you swapped the order for dramatic purposes because otherwise it's just dead airtime on yeah. the, the coverage. But why keep it Yeah, why not change why not how it's weighted? Increase the weight of the jump to make it matter. I don't know. I see. <laughs> they make a lot of choices I don't understand. All right. Ski jumping. One of the last events was also one of the most dramatic. One of the less dramatic parts, but a humble beginning that would grow into an Olympic powerhouse was the debut of Japan. Motohiko Ban, Ban, Ban was the first Japanese athlete to compete in Olympic ski jumping and the first athlete from Asia to participate in the sport. He did not medal. In fact, he came in dead last. But his performance was a spark that began Japan's interest in the sport. Today, they are one of the leading programs. They're... I mean, they have mountains. There are... They do have mountains, and they love mm -hmm. ski jumping. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, more than I think any other ski-based sport. They love ski jumping. All right. The Canadians did not compete in ski jumping in these Olympics. They had planned to. Two athletes qualified. Nels Nelson, 
and Melbourne McKenzie. Those are some real Canadian names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did not have enough money to pay their fare to get to Switzerland, though. So they made arrangements with a freighter to work on the ship on the way. Oh, my God. By way of payment. These are amateur athletes, not professional athletes. <laughs> what year is this? But wait, 1926? 20, yeah. We're still working on steamships. 28. 28? The British delegation, who was ultimately overseeing the Canadian team, as it was, it's still part of the United Kingdom, uh, said this was unbecoming conduct of an Olympic athlete and told them they couldn't do that. Okay, then give them a ticket yeah, to the... Yeah, the great, we won't do it. Give us a ticket on a boat. Pay, up, pay us. They didn't do that either. Well. So they just didn't go. Nelson was the world record holder at the time, but he did not compete in this or any Olympics. So good job, Great Britain. That's one way to steal a medal. From themselves? Yeah, I don't... They didn't... I don't think they won. Yes. I don't think Great Britain won anything in this. There was controversy on the course that day. It was a new course, which may have been part of the problem. Originally, the plan was to have the event on the city's original ski jumping hill, Yuliarshansa, which was constructed in 1895, but it was determined to be far too small for the Olympics, both in the actual course and the spectator capacity. A bigger one was built and finished in 1927, which was good because they had crowds of 80,000. Ski jumping was a very popular sport. Yes, it's the, um, what's the thing where you take a motorcycle and you jump over a bunch of buses? Evil Knieveling. Evil Knievel. Evilly Knieveling is the name of the event? <laughs> I don't Are you sure? That's what you're referring to Evil Knievel right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's called. This is the Evil Knieveling of the 1920s. Yeah. Remember that ski jumping is not just distance, but style. You have to look good in the air and stick the landing for the long distances to matter. This is Toy Story flight. The course was very tall, and the strange weather conditions made the officials nervous. So they lowered the starting platform, which would mean... <gasps> Lower, slower speeds for the skiers. After the first round, the Norwegian team was in the lead. After the break, there was controversy. A number <gasps> of Central European and Swiss skiers petitioned to have the platform raised and allow for faster speeds. This led to an argument that lasted for 40 minutes. We're going to quote directly from Wikipedia about what happened next. At one point, one of the facilitators at the in-run received a telephone call confirming top speed. The facilitator was skeptical and chose to call back to the judges who could confirm that they had not given such a go-ahead. In the end, the judges chose to allow higher speeds with a compromise of 5 meters more distance. However, the facilitator only moved the rope 4.5 meters, 4.5 meters. This made the Swiss furious and they used their knives to cut the rope. Sorry? They then... They just have knives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. They then. It's like you don't even ski. Accused the participants who were opposed to full speed of being cowards. Yes. <laughs> Alf Anderson and Sigmund Rude, two of the Norwegian skiers who had been in the lead, started from the slower position on the second round and both stuck the landing with distances of 64 meters and 62.5 meters, respectively. Jakob Thulin. Tams of Norway, who had finished the first round in the lead and was the defending gold medalist, went from top speed and jumped an enormous 73 meters, but did not stick the landing. It was so catastrophic that he dropped to 28th place in the final standings. Whether or not he regretted this decision, I don't know, but he did say, I at least showed those guys that we are not cowards. <laughs> Sounds like he did not regret it. <laughs> He also suffered injuries in the fall bad enough to send him to the hospital. Jeez. But from the ambulance, he screamed, we are not cowards. <laughs> With 
Thames pre precipitous fall, Rudolf Burkert of Czechoslovakia was able to win bronze and thus block the Norwegian sweep of yet another event. <laughs> Ironically, two of the biggest proponents for the top speed start were Gerard Villemier and Bruno Trojani, both of Switzerland, who both fell and finished at 30th and 32nd place, respectively. Eyes are bigger than their stomachs. They yeah. were cowards. <laughs> no, well, no, they weren't cowards. They just weren't very good skiers. They just weren't right. ski jumpers. They didn't Fair do enough. good at the landing. They actually landed, they actually placed behind the guy who went to the hospital because he fell so bad. <laughs> we don't have any evidence that he didn't perfectly stick the landing and stay upright with just two broken legs. <laughs> <laughs> well, the evidence is his poor score. Wow. Well, if he had stuck the landing, as Carrie Stroke showed us, he, he would have gotten a better That's score true. if he stuck the landing. Demonstration sports. Usually, I don't bother getting too in-depth with the demonstration sports, but there's only two this time and only 14 official medal events, and one involves horses. <gasps> so we're going to talk about them. They finally have horse ice dancing. Horse ice dancing. <laughs> Close. Well, first, we're going to talk about military patrol skiing. We talked about the sport in... Uh, talked about what the sport is the last time when it was a medal sport in 1924. It is similar to biathlon in that it combines cross-country skiing and target shooting. What differentiates military patrol is that the teams carry packs of specific weights. There are designated officers and privates, and it involves not just cross-country skiing, but ski mountaineering. This is just biathlon with extra steps. For this event, the track was 30 kilometers long with an elevation difference of one uh, or 1,100 kilometers. The starting point was at an elevation of 2,108 kilometers the peak was at 2,877 kilometers, and the goal in the valley was 1,850 kilometers. The military patrol event was held on February 12th, and there was a snowstorm the night before, so it was delayed 45 minutes as they did their best to clean up the track before starting. Five minutes separated the finishing time of the top three in order. Norway came in first with a time of three hours 50 minutes, 47 seconds. Finland finished second at 3 hours, 54 minutes, and 47 seconds. And then Switzerland came in third at 3 hours, 55 minutes, and 4 seconds. Italy was fourth with a time that was a little over 4 hours. And to give a sense of the spread here, France came in dead last out of the nine teams that participated with a time of 5 hours, 20 minutes, and 26 seconds, which sounds like hell on earth to me. <laughs> Not a fan of skiing with a very specific amount of weights in your backpack. But I also had to shoot and Sounds have a team fun. that is probably mad at me because I'm slow. Why are there horses? Ski joring. It's just horse ski jumping. We saved the best for last with ski joring, a Nordic sport that only made one appearance at the games for reasons that will forever be a mystery. Ski Let's puzzle this mystery out, gang. Ski joring is a sport where a person on skis is pulled around a track by dogs, ponies, horses, or something yeah, with a motor. That's still like a thing that people do. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, I know what this is, but I only heard about it with dogs. Um, sometimes they use something with a motor, for example, a snowmobile. At the 1928 games, they were pulled by teams of horses. The sport was developed in Norway as part of the Nordic Games, and in Norway and Sweden is a military sport. The basis for this is that it is a method of transportation that can can be used to carry military dispatches. Is it though? They should do Technically. it. Technically, they should bring it back. Should do it with dogs, 
and I'm going to enter with my Pomeranian. <laughs> Good luck with that. Your Pomeranian work. will, Especially, if there's any amount of snow, they will just sink into it. That's not true. No? Remember when it snowed last year? I don't, I don't remember anything about the fact. Oh, that's <laughs> fair. I remember the snow. She just simply didn't walk through it because it was too deep. So <laughs> it's worse, actually, than you're imagining. What if she smells a truffle? She just freaks out and is like, I can't, like, this is, impo- this is impossible to pass through. <laughs> I couldn't possibly, but I need to be over there. And so she just starts vibrating. Okay. If she vibrates fast enough, she can just go through the she snow could. like the flask going so, through her <laughs> eventually it might work. Yeah. De Coubertin saw it at some of the Nordic games and liked it so much, he lobbied for its inclusion. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> no, that doesn't make sense. Or it was me. I was secretly in charge of the Olympics this year, and I was like, You have a horses. time machine, and that's what you're doing? Horses. That's what I'm doing. He's like, are you all surprised? these other no. guys are posers and leggings and sweaters, but these guys. These guys have horses. These <laughs> horses aren't even wearing leggings and sweaters. <laughs> Horses are athletes, every single one of them. This was the only time it was an Olympic event, and only in demonstration. At Sunwards, the event was held on a frozen lake. I don't know what date this was, so I guess... Wait, hold on. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) They put put horses over a frozen lake during a heat wave. There's all little red flags from the skatings there. They're like, alright, horses, probably avoid those. (laughs) Skewer! Go for it! I'm sure it'll be fine. Oh. Sorry, I just... Oh, you're fine. Okay. I'm sorry. I should have moved right. those jars. I just gestured too much. Um, in modern North American equestrian ski-dooring, which is a thing... Of course. Of course! There are riders on the horses, jumps on the course, and each team goes through the course individually. Hold <laughs> Okay. Riders so, on the horses, I understand. Although yeah. it does kind of defeat the point of having a skier on the back to deliver yeah. a message. How are we jumping? That is my question. <laughs> That's my question. I don't think it's done on a lake. I'm okay, no, 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 no. You got a horse tied to a person on skis. Yeah, the horse. How will not are we need, jumping? The, the the skier will need a ramp. The horse will need not a ramp, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if there's. They don't drag somebody. My in questions are mechanical. Okay, I don't. In nature, you know what? Because like traditionally, it's like you do it in skis or like a bike. Like you can do it with anything. Like it's just sort of you're just being pulled. Yeah, on a like vehicle a, like a snow chair. How are we jumping? Do they fishtail I, around so that you on the skis have like a wider arc? I've only ever seen people jump? like people now like in the U.S. at least do it on like bikes and stuff. It's like a thing. People people are into it. People, How are they jumping with bikes? People, they're not jumping. They're just running around with their dogs. For this, okay, for this, there were no riders on the horses, no jumps, and the athletes raced simultaneously like ch- a chariot race wait, on wait, skis. Wait, wait, wait. We put all the horses on the frozen lake at the same time during the heat wave. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like uh-huh. a big chariot race. And it was fine. <laughs> yeah, apparently. It was literally that scene from Ben-Hur, but it was fine. Not a whole lot of records were kept on this, so maybe. Was it? Maybe this is why they don't have it anymore. I'm, I'm here for the timely references to things like Ben Hur. I'm trying to remember if that was one of the movies that like someone killed a died. surprising yes. number of extras. Yes, that was that was one of them. Yes. <laughs> the medals were swept by Swiss athletes, and I don't even know how many participated. One, sure. One of the medalists, the guy who came in second place and is identified only as Toriani. Was on the bronze medal winning Swiss hockey team at the 1928 games. Okay, I was going to ask if it was possible that was the horse, but. 
Horses. It still could be. He could have been like, a horse on the great, them great goalie. You <laughs> put a horse in the goal. They were like, "This is the best we got," <laughs> and that works. Kind of going to beat the Canadians. Eh? <laughs> I mean, but they're not going anywhere near that goal. That horse might kick them. <laughs> they did score twelve on the. Story. Yeah, but like from a distance. <laughs> um, Toriani would also return to the Olympics as part of the 1948 Swiss hockey team. After that, he took up luge, and while he never competed in the Olympics in luge, he did win the World Championship silver medal in 1957, and all I know of him is his name is Toriani. Horse luge. Horse luge. Oh, no. <laughs> horse skeleton. <laughs> it's going to be a horse skeleton if you sit down the little track. Oh, boy. Once again, as we reach the end of another Winter Games with no downhill skiing... You may be asking yourself why that isn't a thing yet. Well, that's because the sport had only been invented in 1911 and wasn't spread wide enough to catch the attention of the always looking for more winter sports IOC. It is a little unintuitive that you would invent cross-country skiing Mm -hmm. and not downhill skiing. Like, you had skis, you had hills. Well, but you're going to be, like... Cross-country is how you get from point A to point B. Yeah, they're using that in their daily life. Sometimes point A and point B are up and down a hill. No, we simply don't go over the mountains. That wasn't invented until 1912. You had to have the machinery to have a ski lift before you could do downhill skiing in any real way. Yeah, because think about how long it's going to take you to get up there. Like, you could do it, like, once. Like, Mm -hmm. like when I was a kid, we would walk up the hill with our sleds, and we would sled down the hill, and then we'd be way too tired to walk up the hill. Uh Okay, that's bobsled. You're not walking up with your skis. (laughs) No. Anyway, uh... 1911 was when the first downhill skiing races on record were held. The modern slalom wasn't invented until 1922, and it would still be 20 years before any downhill skiing events would, will appear in the Olympics. The IOC actually recognized the sport in 1936 after the Winter Games, but then World War II got in the way. Wait, what? Foreshadowing. Don't worry about it. Okay. We'll be getting into more detail about how these sports were developed when they actually show up in competition. Again, the Winter Games were much more sedate and well-run than the Summer Games, something that would continue for a while just because of how few people are involved in them. It's a lot easier to keep things tight and tidy when there's only a handful of events and it's too cold for the crowds to get too rowdy. Was that tidy? Relatively. It was just the weather Only that was a few horses fell through the ice and drowned. And I mean, this, the, the Swiss guys just cut a rope with their knives, not each other. <laughs> Fair. Um, Meanwhile, in the next tug of war, they're going to pull the knives out and... <laughs> Well, the tug of war is done. It's also still a little early for the precursors to World War II to become really apparent. And we don't yet have a lot of athletes who will later fight and possibly die in that conflict. Although some show up in the summer games. So the Germans are back. They're in the... It's 1928. Is it Reichstag? Is that the name of their parliament at this time? Is it Weimar? Weimar Republic. Yeah. Um, Probably... Eager to get back on the national stage, but maybe I don't want to. I mean, the too socialists were still a big, big force in the air, in Austria and Germany at the time. But we'll get into that when we talk about the summer games. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of like the very much the sunset. Um, once we get into the thirties, they're not around as much. Uh, but we do have one who will go on to serve in a noteworthy way. Billy Fisk was an American born in Chicago to a family of successful bankers. When he was a teenager, he was sent to boarding school in France, and this is where he discovered bobsledding. He was a driver of the gold medal team, gold medal American team in 1928. 
He would compete again in 1932 and defend the gold medal, but refused to compete in 1936 due to the games being held in Nazi Germany. Instead, he traveled to Aspen, Colorado with a friend after someone tried to get them to invest in a mine in the area. A Bitcoin mine? No, just a mine. Instead of investing in the mine, they bought some of the old buildings. The more things change. They bought real estate. The place oh, had God. essentially been a ghost town since the 1880s, and property was dirt cheap. I wonder why. They, it's there's maybe. ghosts there. They fixed it up and built a ski lift and began the metamorphosis of Aspen into the winter sporting destination that it is today. He was also a champion at the Cresta Run in San Moritz and was well known for jumping off the chandelier at Badrut's Palace Hotel. I'm sorry, what? He would jump off the chandelier. Like, multiple times? I can't, and they apparently. kept letting him back in? <laughs> but he was not just a good-time ski lad with a distaste for fascism. The strength of his convictions was displayed when he joined the RAF in 1939 to fight against the Royal Air Force, to fight against the Nazi regime. Because of the United States' neutrality at the time, he posed as a Canadian. Upon acceptance into the RAF, he wrote in his diary, I believe I can lay claim to being the first U.S. citizen to join the RAF in England after the outbreak of hostilities. He did not serve for very long. In August 1940, when fighting in the Battle of Britain, he was badly burned when his fuel tank was hit and exploded. He managed to get his plane back to base and was admitted for treatment, but died of shock during surgery. He was given full military honors at his burial, both United Kingdom and United States. His sacrifice was used as a propaganda tool, and so there are a great many memorials and documentaries about him. Though this also extended after the war, so not just for the war effort, he was one of the first American pilots to killed during World War II. And next time in Amsterdam, we will have communist stuff to talk about, along with all the sports. That's the end of that one. Uh, remember to like, rate, subscribe, review on... Stitcher or Pocket Cast, which podcasts are, are up? Facebook podcast is probably still down. From <laughs> topical, <laughs> I I will get this out like in a week, maybe. I um, hope Facebook is down for a, a day again in another week. This yeah, should awesome. be a recurring. It should thing. be a thing we do every day. Yeah. The Facebook list day. every day. Yeah, every day. <laughs> That was a Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Twitter at Olympic Size Cast or email us at Olympic Size Podcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback or if you're my sister. Still waiting to hear from you, Kathleen. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>